You are listening to Epic Church San Francisco's podcast. And so that's really what we're going to get into next week. Nehemiah has a very unique story in that way. But this week, we finish up our Changed series. We've been looking in Romans chapter 8 throughout the six weeks of the series. And if you missed all of that, that's okay. Uh, No one else in here remembers the other five weeks either. So we're going to conclude that today. And and, and here's what happens oftentimes when you and I walk out of a movie or when we finish a good book or when we leave kind of an all-day strategy planning annual thing for our company or organization, we begin to process, right? Uh, What did I hear? Uh, What does that mean for us? And we begin to really ask that question, like, what does this all mean? And so what I want to do this morning is kind of ask that question. We've said a lot in this series on how God has worked diligently to transform our lives, that he's removed our sin for those of us who place faith in Jesus. And this, this morning, I really want to go, what does all of this mean? All the things we've been saying, that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ, that God gives us his spirit, that he makes us his sons and his daughters, that the Holy Spirit is praying for us, that God works everything together for our good. What does all this ultimately mean? And so I want to answer that really with the concluding verses in chapter eight of Romans. If you need a Bible to follow along, just raise your hand and one of our awesome volunteers will uh, put a copy of the scriptures into your hand. This is yours to keep. If you receive one of these uh, free Bibles, feel free to uh, turn to page 613. I think you'll find the text there. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Again, we teach out of the English Standard Version here. Uh, Any smartphone should be able to download that app. Uh, And so follow along your phone, an actual Bible, the Bible we gave you, uh, iPad, whatever whatever the case may be. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And not only are we asking this morning, what does all of this mean? But, but we're also seeing Paul ask the question at the end of chapter 8. He's basically saying, okay, all this we've said is true. So what's, what's the underlining reality? What does this mean for us? So would you stand with me as we read this morning? Romans chapter 8. Keep coming in. If you're, if you're walking in right now, feel free to join us. Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39. Hopefully you have it there. If not, it will also be on the screen behind me. Here's, here's what he says. He asks the question, what, what does this all mean? He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may be seated. I hope you see that right off the bat. Paul's saying, okay, in light of all these things, after everything that I've said, what does all of this mean? What does this mean for us? What is true for us? And could it even be answering the big questions you and I have, which seem to be questions like this. Uh, What is my life to be about? Uh, If we dive into the spiritual realm of our questioning, we go like, who is this God and what is he about? And what is 
what's his mission and, and how, do, how does my life and who he is and what he thinks of me, how does all that work together and what does it mean? What, what, what does it mean for us that there's a God who exists that's doing something for us? What, what does it all mean? And that's really what Paul wants to answer and I want to answer. And he kind of drops the bomb right off the bat in this text and he, he, he asks, really he states something that I think is a form of a question we all ask. Um, some of us may wonder, like, is there a God who does exist? But once we get beyond that, we want to know this about that God. Like, wh- what does he think about us, right? Like, if there's a God that created me, what are his thoughts about me? Does he like me? Does he accept me? Is he for me? Is he for me? I think that's a question that every one of us ask at different times. And, and let's be honest, I, I think we've all had experiences that... That if our circumstances were dictating our thoughts about God, and that's what they typically do, just so we know you're not alone in that. But most of us, we gather our thoughts about God before we, especially before we get into who God is and understanding those kinds of things. Our thoughts about God are typically dictated by what we think about the world around us and what our experiences are. And so every one of us, my guess is, we've had experiences in this room that have led us to believe in those moments that God was for us, right? When you get the job that, that you've been praying about, even though you didn't know if there was anybody on the other end listening to you, when you get the job, what do you feel like? God, God's for me. When, when your relationships are going really well, uh, when you get the weather that you want for your wedding day, right? Because you've chosen to get married outside, crazy, right? You're like, God is smiling on us, right? Don't you feel that way? But, but we've also had experiences with, that, that, that if we let our experiences dictate what we think about God being for us or against us, then we're left to conclude that because of our circumstances, God must be against us, right? When you, when you don't make the team, when you don't get the job, when your mom doesn't get healed of cancer, when you're feeling really, really lonely, in those moments, what we begin to think. And so let me just say right off the bat, and this is going to be hard to, to maybe get our minds around, but let's be very careful that we don't allow our circumstances, positively or negatively, to dictate to us what God's response is and what he is like towards us. Now, you're like, Ben, I don't understand. Like, if he's, if he's for me, then he's going to do things that are good. And I agree with that. But remember what we said last week. God isn't going to, what God thinks is good isn't always what we think is good, right? And, and don't you just wish sometimes what God would kind of get his act together? Don't, don't you wish that God sometimes would understand what good really is and that we could submit, like we said last week, here's my top 100 list, God, of what's good. Now, would you just make it happen? And some of us treat God like a genie in a bottle, right? If I just do these things, God's going to do these other things for me. And we make, we make a deal with God all the time. But be very careful that you and I allow our circumstances. Because here's the thing. Paul's saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? Here's what he's not saying. He is not saying if we get to the end of our lives, of all time, and we weigh the positive things versus the negative things, and we determine that God is for us, then who can be against us? He's not saying this, this thing needs to get played out. What he's saying is you and I need to live under the great reality, or rather the, even the great assumption that we have a God who is for us. And if we live in the reality that we have a God who is for us, then it changes everything about what we pursue in life, how we pray, how we love, how we lead, how we serve, how we give, all of those kinds of things, if we understand that we have a God who is actually for us. It's easy to believe God is for you uh, when, when you really love your job, right? And, and, of course, I don't know many people that ever talk about how much they love their job. Very few, uh, to be honest. But, but it really seems like God is for you. When your marriage is going awesome, it's really easy to believe that God is for you, right? When your husband does everything like you hoped he would do, like when you made your list before you got married, like, I need to find a guy like this, and he's doing every single one, 
Has anybody met that man yet? Man, you got a lot to live up to. That's all right. She only, she only had two things on the list, man. You're good. <laughs> I'm headed to Uganda with these two and a few others this week. We're, we're going to have good times exploring that answer. Uh, and I, and I'll, get, I'll get back to the rest of you guys. That's awesome. I mean, who wouldn't want their lady to say something like that about them? But when all that's going well, right, when your kids, if you have kids, when they're becoming exactly who you want them to be, like little mini yous, which is scary for the rest of us, but they're, they're becoming exactly who you want them to be, then you're like, God's for me. When your friendships are flourishing and you go to sleep at night and you're like, man, I've got incredible friends that really care about me. Um, on those, in those moments, it's real easy to go, I feel like God is for me. I feel like he is in this with me. He's doing things for my benefit. But all of us have had experiences where it's very hard to believe God's for us, right? When, when you're on the brink of divorce, it's, it's hard to believe. And you've done nothing. It's not your fault, right? It, it's hard to believe God's for you in that moment. When, when your job is unfulfilling or, or worse yet, you're out of work, it's very difficult if we're allowing our circumstances to dictate what we believe and know about God. It's very difficult in that moment to believe God's with us. When your kids want nothing to do with you, right? When loneliness is creeping in and, and, and you don't have a friend in the world, though you live in a very big city, though you're around people all the time at the office, people all the time in your neighborhood, whatever, even at church, you're like, I, if circumstances dictate what we believe about God being for us or against us, let's be honest, oftentimes we'll, we'll, we'll be confused. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to live with the great assumption for the rest of your life that God is for you. Because if you believe that God is for you, and I believe that it's true that he is for you, but if you believe that, if you embrace the reality of that, then how you live and how I live, even starting today and tomorrow morning, how we wake up, how we pray, dreams that we're willing to pursue, all of those things will look vastly different if you believe going into any experience in life that you have a God who exists and he's for you. And I just want you to wrap your minds around that. And so when things aren't working out, when challenges are there, when trials come, um, what we want to do is go, man, God must either be absent or he must be against me. But if we could live with the great assumption that though um, it looks different to us, we, we're trusting that God actually, he's actually for us. Now, Paul's not asking that. He's not saying if God tends, if he shows up to be for us in the future, he's going to let us know one way you and I can know that God is for us, right? If, if you're like me, you, you want to you see some proof. What's, what is Paul saying and, and how does he know that this is true? Look at verse 32 of Romans 8. He's going to tell you, how he knows that God is for us. In 32, he's talking about God. He says, God did not spare his own son, that's Jesus, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you see what he's saying? See, we go through experiences and we want to know, is God for us? Or we assume, because things aren't going our way, that God isn't for us. And Paul's saying, hey, you want to know if God is for you? Hear this, you need to understand this. Jesus is who is most precious and valuable to God, period. And what Paul is saying is that if he didn't withhold Jesus, if God didn't hold back Jesus when it came to giving us uh, what was most precious to him and most necessary for us, then why are you and I going to doubt as we move forward into the story he has for our lives that he's going to withhold things from us that are for our good? So many times I'm going, God, I just don't know if you want to do this for us. And it seems like it's a good thing. It seems like it's the things he's leading us to do. So many times we, we don't know and we're questioning that. And Paul says, hey, here's how you can know God is for you. He has given you what's most valuable to him and what's most necessary for you. He's saying if he didn't spare Jesus, why is anything else going to be more costly that he's going to want to hold it back? Because maybe, maybe you're not worth it. The idea here is this. 
if you're with Jesus and God has found us, not because of anything lovely in us, but if he's found it worth it to give Jesus to us, then Paul's just going, the logical thing we can deduce is that he's going to give us everything else we need to. And, and so he wants us to wrap our minds around us, that he's given us what's most precious for us. It was a Saturday night, January of the year 2000. Um, I had been dating Shauna for three months, and I had met her dad within the last 10 days or so, and I am in their living room. Shauna's not there, just her parents are there, and I'm in the living room pacing around the living room floor because I'm ready to pop the question to her dad so that I might pop the question to her. And I'm just pacing. Guys, remember that moment? Anybody? Anybody not have an intimidating father-in-law? No, every father-in-law is intimidating, right? It doesn't matter how, how much bigger you are than he is. It doesn't matter how much stronger you are than he is. Every father-in-law in that moment, at least, I mean, asking her was going to be nothing once I got through him. And so he finally comes out of the back of the house. I'm pacing the living room, and I just say something like this. I'm like, Mr. Harris, I, I really love your daughter, and I want to spend the rest of my life with her, and I want to have your blessing to do so. Something like that. It wasn't nearly that eloquent. If you think that's bad, I can only imagine what it was like in that moment. And what I want from him is just a one-word answer. And I'm so nervous and anxious that if it's no, that I would rather have no than like a 10-minute sermon because he's a pastor, right? Well, he gave me the sermon. He, he said to me, <laughs> he, he said to me, Ben, there are a lot of things that are valuable to me, but you could ask for them and perhaps I would give them to you. He said, even like my truck out there, that's something that's pretty valuable to me. And, and maybe if you asked or if you needed it, I, I actually would be willing to give that to you. And, and funny enough, two years later, he did. Um, the problem is we were eight hours from where we lived and it was a stick shift and I had never driven one. But that's a whole nother father-in-law story. But he says that about the truck. And then he says, but, but you haven't asked for my truck. I was like, no, but I think that would have been a lot easier, man. Uh, would have spared me the sermon maybe. And and he says, he says, you've asked for what's most precious to me. I'm like, I know she was good, but come on. I mean, is she that? You know I mean, come on, man. Uh, and by, suddenly, thankfully, Shauna's mom comes in the living room, and, you know, she's very lighthearted and planning a wedding and all those things. But I'll never forget that night when he helped me understand just how valuable she was. Shauna has two sisters, and she's the oldest. And uh, I, was, I was kind of the guinea pig for the rest of the brothers-in-law. I mean, uh, they, I think they owe me. Um, I, I took it first. And, uh, but I'll never forget just that understanding that, listen, he was, a couple years later for Christmas, seriously, I opened up my little, it looked like a jewelry box. I'm like, why is her dad giving me jewelry? Um, but it was, and it was, it was a key to that truck that he had mentioned about two years earlier. And, but what's crazy is that he didn't give me a speech for the truck. Now, he tried to teach me how to drive the stick, but um, he, he didn't give me a speech about that. The reason why is because he had already given to me what was in his mind, what was most precious to him. The truck was just a, a thing. But I'd asked for his daughter, the one that he had protected and provided for since the moment she was born or before. And now he's relinquishing her to me. And it just helped me get a sense of, wow, this woman really is valuable. What Paul's trying to say there is that if God has given us in Jesus what's most valuable to him, then he's not going to think twice about giving us other things that he thinks, not that we think, right? That he thinks we need to live out our part in the story that he's got for us. And so it's just that great reminder, okay, if God's going to give us what's most valuable, I mean, I mean let's be honest, there's some great people in this room. There really are. And there's some not so great people too, as I look around, but there are some great people in, in this room. But I have my doubts about whether or not any person in this room would be willing to give you what's most valuable to them. 
I have my doubts about that. Maybe even in the world I have my doubts. That there's anyone alive anywhere in this world who would be willing to give you what's most valuable or precious to them. That's the beauty of the message of the gospel of Jesus is that God did that. God, God, do you see what it says in verse 32? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Gave, gave him up for us all. And so uh, whether this is your introduction or just a reminder this morning, uh, what the gospel, what the Bible, what this thing is all about, what the reason we started this church is because we believe that there's a God who is for us, who's given Jesus up for all of us. And as we respond in faith to him, our lives become things they could never become on their own. And then he goes on in 33 and he says, he said, who, who, who shall bring a charge against God's people, against God's elect? He's like, the only person that could bring a charge is God himself. And guess what? God is the one justifying. Look at verse 34. He says, who will condemn us? Basically what he's saying is who will punish us because we're sinners and we all are, right? Uh, he's saying, who, who, will, who, will, who will condemn us? Because remember, Paul's making this grand argument. If God's for us, then it really doesn't matter who or what comes against us. See, if God has all authority and he's for you, then it doesn't matter what your boss tries to do to you, right? We want a God who's for us and can do something about our lives. And and that's the message of the gospel. But then he gets to 34 and he goes, who is to condemn? And he says to us, Jesus is the only one who could condemn us for our sin. And he's chosen not to. Jesus is the only one who could condemn us for our sin. And not only has he, is he not condemning us, he's dying for that sin. He's rising for that sin. And by the way, he's at the right hand of God praying for us. Pretty incredible, isn't it? So when you feel like, oh, there's this, you feel like in your mind or your heart, like you're just constantly being accused of some past mistake that you made or, or, or something you did and were a part of that you're just ashamed of now. And you're like, I never can, I never can get back to the story God has for me. What you and I need to know is that, listen, the only one who could condemn us for our sin has chosen to die for our sin. He was risen. Uh, he's risen from the dead and he's praying for you. Is that incredible? Like the one who could put you away because of your sin, the one who could punish you, paid for that sin. And by the way, he's beside God right now praying for you. I mean, I hope you got some great people in your life praying for you, but this one might top them, right? It's like, all right, mom, you can pray for me, but uh, I'm gonna let Jesus really go for it. He's praying for us because he's, he's for us and he's not condemning us. And then he goes on to say, who's gonna separate us from the love of Christ? Some of you need to hear this. Some of you believe that your doubts have separated you from the love of God. And you feel guilty about that. Some of you, maybe all of us, believe that there's something in our past that we've given into, that we've done repeatedly, that we've maybe become addicted to. And we believe that that thing in our past is able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. Some of us believe because it's taken us so long, we feel like, to get our act together, that maybe that, us, we, have separated our own selves from the love of God that's in Christ. And what Paul is saying, if you see it all throughout 35 to 39, he's saying, no, Mm-mm. tribulation won't do it. Distress won't do it. Nakedness, danger, sword, persecution, famine. Death can't do it. Life won't do it. The angels, the rulers, things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You and I need to decide, are we going to buy into what our feelings tell us? Are we going to buy into the accusations we feel? Or are we going to buy into the God who has all authority saying to us, hey, not one thing you could do in the past, present, or future is going to separate you from my love. 
He's going to keep flowing. His love's going to keep flowing towards us. He's going to keep coming after us. And some of you believe that you've had to give up on God's story for your life because of mistakes that you've made in the past. And I just want to say this clearly as your pastor. And if you're like, oh, you're not my pastor yet. Well, keep hanging around. I will be. Um, What I want to say to you is that if God is for you, the story is not over. If God is for you and he's able to do something about your situation, then you haven't wrecked it. So often you and I feel like we have taken ourselves out of God's will and we've done that. But what we also feel at times is that we've taken ourselves out of God's will, out of his story for our lives, and we can never enter back in. And maybe what you need to hear this morning, maybe it's been years since you've been in church, maybe you've never been in church. But what you need to hear this morning is that if God's for you, you can get back into his story for you. What I'm passionate about is leading our people to embrace what God has for them. And so many times in my own life, I can look to certain sins. I can look to certain um, seasons of my life where, where, man, it's crazy that I'm standing on a stage in downtown San Francisco talking to you. If God wasn't for me, you don't know me right now, at least not in this way. If, if God wasn't for me, there's no way this thing that we're sitting in would have got off the ground. If God isn't for you, maybe you're not even here this morning. If God isn't for you, your sin would have condemned you. If God isn't for you, I mean, but, but if he is for you, shouldn't that change how you and I pray tomorrow morning if God's for us? Shouldn't it? Let's think about this. If we live with the great assumption that God is for us, wouldn't it change what we're willing to pursue? Some of us are like, oh, I just feel so alone in this. I don't know if I can go for it. If God's for you, I'm not saying 100% success right, but I'm just saying you and I need to go for things if we know God's for us. And if we believe that, we will. If God's for us, how does it change our relationships? Because remember, don't lose sight of this. If God's for you, he's for the other person too. You're like, God, even my boss, yep. Even that girl that won't call me back, uh uh-huh. He's for us. If God is for us, it'll change the way that we love. It'll it'll change the way we lead. It'll change how we give financially to causes that are bigger than ourselves. It'll change what we're willing to invest our lives in. If we know that God is for us, then guess what? We don't have to drum up all of this energy and try to go, okay, I'm in this alone. I've got to make sure I take care of number one, blah, 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 that the world lives in. And God's going, hey, if I'm for you and I have all authority, I can do things for you that your boss will never be able to do for you. I can do things for you that, that your resume can't do for you. I'll do things for you that your money can't do for you. And you and I know, living in the culture we live in here, that we're, 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 there's all kinds of threats for us to buy the lie that someone out there, or namely ourselves, would have to make it ha- we have to make it happen for ourselves. And if you have to make it happen for yourself, it's going to be a small story. I tell you that a lot. You can be the hero, but it's going to be a small story. It's going to be less exciting and less compelling than the story that God's invited us up, us up into. And this morning, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking about. I, I, I do know this. One thing I love about living here and love about what God's doing in our church is, is, that, is that there's so many people, part of our church, and our staff wants to be this way too, that, that we're really willing to go for it. We're, we're, some of you are here because you're going for it. You got tired of living in that community. You got tired of, of kind of being bored. And so like you're out here trying to make it happen. And I just want to say to you that God is for you. Rest in that. And even if this dream that you have doesn't happen, I believe that God's got a better story in mind. It's hard for you to believe. That's why don't let your circumstances dictate to you whether God is good. Don't let your circumstances dictate to you solely if God is for you. Live with the assumption that God is for you. And, and if we know that God's for us, then we'll have patience when times are terrible. If we know that God is for us, everything's telling us, oh, he doesn't look like he's for us, but I'm going to hang on to the belief that he's for us. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to wait till the blessing comes. And as we continue to move forward, I just want you to really hone in on this idea that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is for us in Jesus. 
in a romantic relationship, the man or woman will do whatever it takes to make their intentions known, won't we? Okay, ladies don't really. They play hard to get guys. But we, we're not sending mixed signals, are we, fellas? Single guys, step up. I want to bring you to the stage. I'm serious. And I call a couple of you by name. <clears throat> guys, if you don't want to stay single forever, let your intentions be made known. I mean, guys will do crazy things. I mean, they'll stay up and watch the sunrise, even if they have to be at work at 9 o'clock. Right? They will spend money they do not have. They will cancel their plan to pretend like none of us are their friends to do whatever it takes to get to you ladies. That's just what they do. They make their intentions known. But here's the thing. In a relationship or for a relationship to happen, it doesn't matter how great a man or woman lets those intentions be known. At the end of the day, for a relationship to move forward, it demands a response to those intentions. What we've been trying to say in this change series is that God has done everything possible to let his intentions be known. People are going, is God good? Is he for me? And Paul in chapter 8, we've said it too. Like, there's no condemnation if you place faith in Jesus. He, he died for your sin. Uh, we're going, is God good? And, and, and the passage is telling us he has adopted us to be his sons and daughters. Last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is praying for us. This week, if God is for us, who can be against us? What can come against us? If God hasn't spared Jesus, what's most valuable to him and most necessary for us? What do we have to worry about? Where do our doubts reside? But the response is demanded. Except for the two of you that have been sleeping during the message, the response is demanded. Will you place your faith in Jesus? Or will you continue to place your faith, faith in something or someone else? Maybe even yourself. People want to know all the time, and I hear this a lot since we started our church, hey, Ben, um, aren't, aren't there more... Aren't there multiple ways to God? And it's, it's a fair question. And in some ways, we can make it make a lot of sense as we look at the scope of the world and who's heard what and who's grown up with this or that. But let me just say this. If there's more than one way to God, then why in the world did God give us what's most precious to him as a sacrifice? Now, I'm not trying to get philosophical. I'm just trying to go, hey, think with me here. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's headed to the cross and, and he's praying. And what he's praying, fervently praying, what he's praying is that, God, if there's another way that I can avoid this path, if, if there's another way for this thing to go down, salvation, forgiveness of sin, if there's another way, then he says, take this cup from me, this cup of suffering, this cup of pain, this cup of uh, rejection from God as he carries our sin. But he concludes his prayer with, but, but whatever your will is, this is what I want to do. Don't you think that God would answer the prayer of Jesus? He does. Mostly the back half where Jesus says, whatever your will is, I'm going for it. Friends, don't you see that if there was another way, then, then this is pretty abusive for God to give up his own son, what's most valuable to him and most necessary for us if there are many, many other ways to get there. And you're like, Ben, that complicates things. It complicated life for Jesus. It's what got him killed, claiming to be God, right? It demands a response. How will you and I respond? In a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to invite the band back up. They're going to lead us in three songs and and I just pray that we'd be a church who responds to what we've heard this morning, even if we've never responded or, or if we haven't in a long time. And 
a few different ways we can respond. You can sit right where you're at, where you're seated right now, and just be praying through maybe what you believe, maybe uh, what the reality would look like. If you knew that God was for you, like if you lived your life, the remainder of it, knowing that, what would you be willing to attempt, go for? And some of you just need to hear that again. God is for you. Your circumstances may tell you otherwise. Your doubts may speak a different thing to you. But God is for you. And if he's for you, who really can come against you? And so you can sit there and pray. You can stand or sit and sing. You can reflect for those of you that would say, hey, I'm just not ready for faith in Jesus. Would you consider what we're going to observe in a moment? Really, this idea around the table this morning is, is as we take the bread and dip it into the cup, one representing the body of Jesus, one representing the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Would you just consider that really what this represents in light of our talk this morning is God giving us what's most valuable to him? And so Jesus said, as often as you remember what I've done for you, celebrate. And I pray we would respond with joy this morning. And you're like, Ben, you don't know my circumstances. I don't. I don't, but I do know this. I know God is for you. I know that he held nothing back when it came to giving you what you needed. I know that he gave us what he values most. And this morning really is an invitation for us to value in the same way what he values. So I'm going to pray. The band will be up here to lead us in a few songs. You've got plenty of time to respond. Maybe this morning you want to place your faith in Jesus. There's a way for you to indicate that on the card. At the end of the day, you go, Ben, why did we start this church? Well, we believe that God's invited us into something really special. And by faith, you and I can repent of our sin, place faith in Jesus as the one who has owned our sin for us so that we might be reconciled in relationship back to God as a father. So we might be in a father-daughter or father-son relationship with God, the creator. I wonder if that might be for you this morning. Some of us need to confess our own sin privately. I'm not going to bring you to the stage behind a mic to do that. Don't get nervous. But just to go, God, you know that I've trusted in other things. God, I've allowed my circumstances to dictate who you are. And God, I want to see fresh who you are and live my life in response to that. Not trying to find out if you're good, but assuming that you are. So let's pray and then we'll respond.